Nature is a dangerous place. On Monsters Inside Me, the podcast, listen to the life or death experiences of people who have survived animal attacks, natural disasters, and deadly parasites alike. Featuring audio from Discovery Channel, Science Channel, and Animal Planet, from hit shows like This Came Out of Me, Nature's Deadliest, Still Alive, and I Was Prey. Listen to Monsters Inside Me wherever you get your podcasts. A startling disturbance in the dead of night. And all of a sudden, this loud yelling woke me up. And I hear this voice say, go ahead, break it. But it sounded like my son's voice. The next morning, a young man and his dirt bike have vanished. No bike, no cell phone, no ID, absolutely nothing. Rumors fly, only deepening the mystery. Josh had claimed a a Jeep Cherokee had driven past them and then began to chase them. Investigators exhaust every lead, but end up baffled. It's hard to to tell his mom, we don't have any answers for her. We can't give her what she wants, and that's her son. Leaving a family devastated and desperate for closure. I have nowhere to go. I have nowhere to look. That's my only son. October 2011. 19-year-old Angel Garcia is in the kitchen, trying out a new recipe. Ever since his girlfriend moved in, he's taken on a new role in the household, family cook. All of a sudden, I see him cooking pasta, chicken, breakfast. I'm like, what's going into you? All of a sudden, you want to cook? I like cooking. I like to eat, so I have to know how to cook. A lot of the times when I used to get home from work, dinner was already done, so (laughs) it's a good thing for me. Angel and his girlfriend, Omira met on Facebook 14 months earlier. They've been together ever since. I've never really hooked up with anybody from social media. So that was like the first time. And it actually kind of worked out. <laughs> Angel and Omira's relationship got serious pretty quickly. And Omira and her two-year-old son, Joxel, moved in with Angel and his mom. He told me that she didn't have nowhere to go. That's when I found out she had a kid. So I said, well, I mean, I have no other choice, so let us stay here with us. Soon, Omira and Joxel become a cherished part of the household. We included her in our family, not just me, my son, my daughter, but the entire family. Angel's parents separated when he was 10 years old. Since then, he and his mom have grown especially close. Whenever they can, the family eats together. We always made sure we sat around the table when it was dinner time. That's one little ritual that we pretty much had. And we really enjoyed that. It was important to all of us. Angel tries out his parenting skills with Omira's son, Joxel, and the two really hit it off. The situation I was in when we first met, I thought he would be so judgmental and would push him away. But he was there, and he understood. Angel is just as attached to his sister Rose's six-month-old daughter, Amani. Every time she cries, he would pick her up and be like, you're going to spoil her. Do not let her cry. She has to develop her lungs. And he'll be like, no, and just hold her all the time. He would be playing video games, and she'll be on his arm. (laughs) I always taught 
my children that the most important thing is family. And we can never allow nothing or anyone to break that bond. On Thursday, October 20th, Laura comes home late from work. Angel has a plate of chicken with macaroni and cheese waiting for his mom. He said, Ma, you gonna come eat? I said, no, baby, I'm sorry, I'm too tired, I'm going to bed. And he said, okay, good night, I love you. And I said, okay, I love you. And I went to sleep. Laura heads to bed around 10 p.m. The next morning, as she gets ready to leave for work, she sees that her son is still sleeping. Angel will go to school whenever he feels like going to school. And sometimes I will get him out of bed before I left to work. He will get up and he will get dressed. I will leave to work and then find out that he didn't go to school. His mother says that since third grade, Angel has struggled in school with attention deficit disorder. They gave him medication, but he didn't like the medication because he used to tell me, Ma, it makes me feel like a zombie. Although he's fallen a couple years behind, Angel is still determined to earn his high school diploma. And he used to say, Ma, a lot of people think I'm not going to finish high school, but I'm going to finish high school. That Friday morning, Laura leaves for work, assuming her son will soon be heading to school. But he has other plans for the day. A month earlier, Angel got a red Honda dirt bike, which has become his pride and joy. At first, his mom wondered where he got the money to buy the bike. Then when I saw him on the bike, that's when I was like, whose bike is that? It's my bike. What do you mean your bike? Where do you get that bike from? Oh, I bought it. My dad gave me the money to buy. Your dad gave you the money? Yeah. I said, okay, now left it alone. He used to ride it on the streets almost every day. He was always washing it, riding it. Spending a lot of time with his dirt bike. He used to always say, I love speed. I love speed. <laughs> That's what he used to say. Like many teens in Hartford, Angel and his friends indulged their need for speed by cruising the streets and park trails. There's not really a lot of places to ride, especially in the city of Hartford. So you'll see this kind of riding literally on Main Street sometimes. You get on your bike and you ride, and you ride anywhere you can. The streets, the parks, everyone gets together and it's fun for them. That Friday morning, Angel has plans to go riding with his friend Joel. Angel went to Joel's house maybe by 10.30 in the morning. They like to use the field behind Joel's uncle's house, and it's a big field. And you can tell it's, it's a field that you would use a dirt bike on. Once Angel and Joel met up, there was a problem with Angel's bike that they fixed together. It was a chain issue. And uh, they rode uh, for a couple hours in that area. But the fun comes to an abrupt halt when Joel's ATV runs out of gas. As the two friends push the quad back to Joel's uncle's house, they talk about the rest of the day. Angel told Joel that he was going to continue to ride and uh, go over to East Hartford. Joel said he had other plans, so he couldn't go with him. Around 1 p.m., Joel watches Angel ride off alone, heading east. 
That night, around 9.30 p.m., Laura is ready to turn in when she notices Angel hasn't come home yet. I was tired, so I decided to go to bed. I had to work the next morning. Then, in the middle of the night, Angel's mom hears a chilling voice echoing in from the street. And all of a sudden, this loud yelling woke me up. And I hear this voice say, go ahead, break it. But it sounded like my son's voice. Laura throws open her bedroom door in a panic and runs into Angel's girlfriend, Omira in the hall, looking just as frightened as she is. When I ran out the room, his mom ran out right behind me. So I'm like, I was, I'm not just hearing stuff because she heard it too. So right away, we ran to the front porch. But when we looked, there was nothing there. Not a soul, not a car, there was nothing there. Whoever was yelling is long gone. And then I asked her, where's Ito? That's what we call him. I said, well, where's Ito? She said, I don't know. I've been calling him all day and he doesn't pick up his phone. That's when we started to like get a little worried. Omira tells Laura that Angel never came home that night. The last time she talked to him, around 11 that morning, Angel was out riding with Joel. So he was like, I'll give you a call back in a few because I'm behind Joel's uncle's house and we're riding. I don't have much service. I said, all right, that's fine. Angel never called her back. Omira kept trying to reach him throughout the day, but he never picked up. So I just thought to myself, his phone probably died. It's probably dead or it's just he don't have service. According to cell phone records, the call from his girlfriend that morning was the last time Angel spoke on his phone. His mother stays up the rest of the night, calling anyone she can think of who might know Angel's whereabouts. I kept making phone calls and making phone calls. It was six in the morning and I was still trying to figure out who I can call or text. I was just going back and forth on the phone, making phone calls. That's pretty much what I was doing throughout the night. A 19-year-old boy who lives with his mom, who's close to his mom, just doesn't go missing. Something happened to him. Nineteen-year-old Angel Garcia's family expected him home for dinner. Instead, Angel and his dirt bike have disappeared. And his family has no idea where he could be. Angel, according to his mother, was good about coming home when he should be home and spending nights at home. If he wasn't, he would tell her where he was going to be. His mother, Laura, says she knows Angel was a little frustrated with school, but she's certain he'd never take off without telling her. He didn't even like traveling out of the state. He wouldn't go, because he doesn't like the long trips. So the possibility of him just getting up and leaving, to me, they're very, very, very slim. If he had plans to spend the night with a friend or at a relative's house, she'd be the first to know. It's out of character for him even to not answer their calls. You know, even if he was Somewhere where he shouldn't have been, he should still be answering the phone, or at least responding via text or what have you, and there was simply no response. By Saturday night at 6 p.m., Laura realizes she has a crisis on her hands. You know, they say you need, you need to give them 24 hours to report a person missing, so I went ahead and I called the police. A patrol officer responds and takes a missing person report at Laura's house. Angel's girlfriend, Omira, tells him what Angel said about going riding with his friend, Joel. 
Thinking he may be the last person to have seen Angel, police immediately follow up with Joel. Joel verified he said yes. Angel was with me. We were at my uncle's house. We rode, and he wanted to keep on riding, but I couldn't go with him. Joel tells investigators Angel planned to ride the trails in East Hartford behind a row of car dealerships. He says he turned Angel down for two reasons. He had errands to run, and he doesn't like riding to East Hartford because it means crossing over the Connecticut River. There was something about riding the bikes on the highway to getting over there kind of scared him. But Angel was interested in riding by the East Hartford Trail. He was a little more adventurous than Joel. It might not have scared Angel, but crossing the Connecticut River on a dirt bike can be a very risky maneuver. The Connecticut River here separates Hartford from East Hartford, so we knew, obviously, he's got to pick where he's going to cross. Two road bridges span the river, but crossing over in fast-moving highway traffic on a small and relatively underpowered dirt bike could be treacherous. What his other option is, is to ride over the train trestle. Um, that's common, you know, we see a lot of dirt bike and ATV riders will use that avenue to get across the river. Due to recent heavy rain, the river was at flood stage, running high and fast. At the time he went missing, the water was very, very, very high. Much higher than it is now, probably 15 to 20 feet over what you see. Police wonder, could Angel have lost control of his bike and fallen from the railroad bridge? It's their best guess. Despite a lack of evidence, nothing has washed ashore. In fact, there's no proof that Angel even went to East Hartford. You know, the train trestle in Riverside Park isn't covered by video, so we really have no way to know if he made it there or not. If Angel did ride in East Hartford behind the car dealerships, surveillance cameras there should have captured his image. On the East Hartford side, there's a lot of businesses, and uh, we had detectives go there and, and review any surveillance video to see if we could see him ride by to go into this area where he was going to ride. But footage from multiple cameras doesn't show Angel or his distinctive red dirt bike. Because he disappeared on a fast-moving, highly maneuverable dirt bike, the potential search area for Angel is massive. So in 10 minutes' time, on a dirt bike, you can go very far. If he did have an accident, Angel could be out on any one of dozens of trails around Hartford, injured and helpless. I mean, even an experienced rider in the woods on, on a dirt bike can, can get in a bad place very fast. And if he was hurt, the nights are cold. That's all I kept thinking, was it's maybe nice during the day, but at night, it's getting chilly. Investigators know that every hour spent in the October chill diminishes Angel's chances for survival. Something's wrong. Something's really wrong. Angel, for me, was, he's hurt. He's out there, and he's hurt, and we have to find him. One thing may work in investigators' favor. When he disappeared, Angel was carrying a cell phone. What that allows us to do is, if that phone is active, we can, through the phone company, gather real-time information as to what towers that phone is accessing. It's not a perfect science. It won't get us to within a foot of where this phone is, but it'll give us a general idea. 
Investigators find evidence that Angel's cell phone last pinged off a tower at 3.28 p.m. on Friday, near some railroad tracks in West Hartford. That was more than two hours after he told Joel he was headed across the river to East Hartford. So on Saturday night, 33 hours after he was last seen, they target searches for Angel in both locations. We walked around, calling out Angel's name, thinking if he was riding around here, he could be hurt. You know, we were looking for any signs of tracks, dirt bike tracks, uh, ATV tracks. That night, searchers find no sign of Angel or tire tracks in either location. The following morning, Sunday, investigators decide to search the area where Angel rode with Joel before he disappeared. Maybe Angel continued to ride back there for a little while before he went to East Hartford, or maybe he was cutting through that area on his way. News cameras capture the scene as police search teams ride the trails on ATVs and comb rough terrain on foot. It included detectives from, from Hartford PD, family members from Angel, his friends, patrol officers. We had specialized units that helped out. It was, it was a big, big search. The Hartford Police Marine Unit tows sonar gear in the river to see if they recognize anything that looks like a bike. But frustratingly, all the searches come up empty. No bike, no cell phone, no shoe, no ID, no wallet. Absolutely nothing. Angel Garcia seems to have vanished without a trace, causing his family untold anguish. Like, there's nothing I could do. Like, I tried my best. and tried to do everything I could, and it was just not working. It was like a slap in the face every single time we try to do anything. All I know is that my son is missing. That's all I know right now. And there's no leads. There's no trace. Nothing. In the midst of the confusion, a friend of Angel's comes forward with a remarkable and seemingly credible tip. He says he saw Angel riding his bike on Thursday, the night before he disappeared, and it looked like somebody was after him. Josh claimed that as they were riding on New Britain Avenue, the street passed them, did an abrupt U-turn, and began to chase him. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Are you looking for ways to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Gretchen Rubin is the number one best-selling author of The Happiness Project, and every week she shares insights and practical solutions in the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. Gretchen's co-host and happiness guinea pig is her sister Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Join Gretchen and Elizabeth as they reveal fresh insights from cutting-edge science, ancient wisdom, pop culture, and their own experiences about cultivating happiness and good habits. Every week, they offer a manageable try-this-at-home tip you can use to boost your happiness without spending a lot of time, energy, or money. Suggestions such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for your year, or design your summer. They also feature segments like Know Yourself Better, where they discuss questions like, are you an overbuyer or an underbuyer, a morning person or a night person, abundance lover or simplicity lover? And every episode includes a happiness hack, a quick, easy shortcut to more happiness. Listen and follow Happier with Gretchen Rubin, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Three days after he vanished, new information has just come in in the disappearance of Angel Garcia. Angel's friend Josh says that the night before Angel went missing, he was chased on his dirt bike by an unknown vehicle. He claimed that uh, he and Angel and other friends were riding in the area of Trinity College. And as they're riding, Josh had claimed a, a tan Jeep Cherokee had driven past them and then done a sudden U-turn and began to chase them. According to Josh, Angel turned and rode into a field where the Jeep couldn't follow him. Then, the Jeep circled back to Josh. The operator of the Jeep pulled up to Josh and said, hey, where'd your friend go? Josh says the SUV was carrying two white men with blonde hair. 
His story opens up an urgent new line of investigation for police. Who could have been after Angel, and why? Hearing that there's a chase the day before he went missing, we're starting to lean towards there may be a suspicious aspect to his disappearance. The revelation prompts police to follow up on a startling lead from Angel's best friend, Lewis. He's been keeping a big secret. He was afraid to talk to the police about it because he didn't want to get in trouble. I said, listen, it's not about the bike. It's about finding Angel, so I need you to tell them. Lewis admits that Angel's red dirt bike was actually stolen property. And Lewis, Joel, and Angel were the ones who stole it. It was a, a dumb decision that they had made, and his friends were willing to admit to that if it meant helping find Angel. And that's what they did. According to Lewis, Angel found the dirt bike for sale on Craigslist a month earlier and recruited his friends to help him with a scheme. Angel met the owners at their house and asked to take the bike for a test ride. After the owners agreed, Angel hopped on the bike and roared off down the street. And his friends had been waiting around the corner with the truck and they helped him load it up in the truck and they took off. Angel's mother, Laura, finds it hard to believe that her son was capable of stealing anything. I was shocked. Shocked to hear that my son was out there stealing a bike and that my son would be riding it up and down the streets as if he bought it like he said. I always taught my kids since they were little, you have to earn things. I was shocked, I was angry, very disappointed. Angel was the only one in his circle of friends who didn't have his own bike. But for his mother, that's no excuse. Just because everybody else has it doesn't give you the right to go and steal one. So, doesn't make any sense. Police discovered that in nearby East Windsor, a bike with a similar description was stolen a month earlier. Investigators tracked down the victims, a 15-year-old and his stepfather, thinking they could be the men in the SUV who chased Angel the night before he disappeared. So that was something that we looked at right away because we figured, well, it could be a motive behind his disappearance. Detectives tell the bike owners what's at stake and get their side of the story. I explained to the owner of the bike that it's a missing person investigation and I showed them a photo of Angel. And when I showed them that photo, instantly they recognized, oh, he's one of the, he's the guy that rode away on the bike. Their account of the theft exactly matches what Angel's friends had told police. And nothing else about the owners appears suspicious to investigators. The stepfather is cooperative. He doesn't drive an SUV or have blonde hair. Did he match the description of the people that were chasing this group of bikes in that gold Jeep Cherokee? He did not in any way, shape, or form. Detectives can make no connection to the alleged SUV chase or to Angel's disappearance. But one fact remains the same. Angel's friend Joel still appears to be the last person to have seen him. Investigators decide to take a formal statement from Joel, this time at the police station. He came in, told us what we already know. He didn't change his story on that. He told us about Friday, 
about how he didn't go riding with Angel into the East Hartford Trails. And then we decided to have Joel show us on the map where was it that Angel and him go riding. So we bring up his uncle's house, and then we start moving the map a little bit west. Investigators notice that pointing out the railroad tracks near his uncle's house, where Angel's cell phone had pinged on Friday afternoon, seems to make Joel uncomfortable. Joel did seem to get a little nervous. He did get a little fidgety in his seat and took a big gulp. His demeanor's changed when he talks about that area. And he tells us that Angel did ride there, but he insists he never went to that area to ride with him. So it sparks a little suspicion. Joel maintains that he had nothing to do with Angel's disappearance. But to some in Angel's family, aspects of his story don't ring true. For one thing, they say Angel would never ride the trails to East Hartford alone. But just for him to say, oh, I'm leaving to the trails, oh, all right, I'll see you, that just doesn't sound right. Angel doesn't ride by himself. First of all, his dad always told him never go riding the Connecticut River by yourself. To see how he reacts under pressure, police ask Joel to show them the railroad tracks where Angel may have been on Friday afternoon. And Joel agrees. And when we got out to that area, it was, you know, he was met with the same thing we were met with. He's like, I don't know how they get in here. I don't come here. Joel does nothing to provoke any further suspicion. At that point, I really didn't question his level of cooperation. He was, he was doing everything that, that we asked him to do. Police don't believe Joel has anything to do with Angel's disappearance. It's another dead end in a case that's beginning to pile up with them. Each day that he's missing, Angel's family finds it more and more painful to deal with the lack of answers. In most cases, when somebody goes missing, a phone is found or a last location is found. A shoe is found or clothing is found that would lead to some type of thoughts of what could have happened or what might have happened. I'm trying to understand. How can someone go missing in broad daylight? With a bike at that. And nobody sees anything. No one. Then an unexpected lead suddenly surfaces. Patrol officers learn that a tan Jeep Cherokee was recently involved in a hit-and-run minor collision. Could it be the same tan Jeep that Angel's friend Josh said chased Angel the night before he vanished? As the officers investigated that accident, they locate this Jeep unoccupied and learn that it was stolen in a carjacking uh, on the day that this chase allegedly occurred. So that's immediately something I wanted to know. You know, is this our car? And who was driving the car before the hit and run? Was it the same person who allegedly chased Angel? It would make sense to me that this could be our car. And it gives some validity to what Josh is telling me because it's the car that he described. So we wanted it processed because that's our only shot at this point of any physical evidence. Investigators seize the vehicle and get a search warrant to process it. Detectives check the car thoroughly for weapons, DNA, and fingerprints. And for once, they catch a huge break, a traceable print that may belong to the carjacker. A lot of times when you do get that fingerprint, it belongs to the owner or a friend of the owner, and there's a reason why it's there. Um, you know, in this case, this fingerprint should not have been there.
a week after Angel Garcia disappeared, investigators may have their strongest lead in finding him. They've discovered a fingerprint in a stolen vehicle like the one that was allegedly chasing Angel the night before he vanished. It behooves us to figure out who's driving this car to one, solve the carjacking, and two, possibly figure out who's chasing Angel. Investigators run the print through the criminal database, but forensic results often take weeks to come back. In the meantime, tips continue to flood in to police, including a new one that threatens to upend the entire timeline of Angel's disappearance. We had gotten information that Angel had been seen riding his dirt bike with another friend of his named Anthony on Friday, hours after he had left Joel. Police had previously thought Angel's friend Joel was the last person to see him at 1 p.m. on Friday. But this tipster claims to have seen Angel with Anthony a full four hours later at five in the afternoon. Detectives track down Anthony to get his side of the story and immediately there are issues. When we went to interview him, he admitted, yeah, I was riding with, with Angel, but it was on Thursday. And he was adamant that he had ridden with him on Thursday. This other witness is adamant that it was Friday. Anthony says he knows it was Thursday because at 5 p.m. on Friday, he was with his girlfriend. And after that, he went home early. But there's a problem. When police interview his girlfriend to confirm, her account of Friday doesn't match Anthony's. Like Anthony, she says they were together at 5 p.m., but she adds that they stayed out late on Friday evening, contradicting Anthony's story about going home early. So now it's a matter of who's telling us the truth, Anthony or his girlfriend. But it also builds suspicion against Anthony a lot, because now this could be the last person to be with Angel, and he may have all the reason in the world to lie to me about that. On the verge of what looks like a breakthrough, investigators confront Anthony with the discrepancies in his timeline. If he really was with his girlfriend on Friday, why don't their statements about the evening match up? And suddenly, his story changes. He admitted to me that he did lie about his whereabouts that Friday, but simply because he was not supposed to be out and he violated his curfew. And he was on a court-ordered curfew at that time. Due to an earlier juvenile offense, Anthony was supposed to be home by 10 p.m. on Friday for curfew, and he thought he'd get in trouble if he told the truth about being out late with his girlfriend. His story doesn't match his girlfriend. It's really starting to come together against him, and then all of a sudden it just implodes. Investigators soon determine Anthony's lie has nothing to do with Angel's disappearance. He's no longer considered a person of interest. Another seemingly promising lead is dead, leaving detectives frustrated and at a loss for how to proceed. It's hard to, to tell his mom we don't have any answers for her. We can't give her what she wants, and that's her son. And we can't even give her answers as to where he could have possibly went. Weeks pass. Tips on Angel's whereabouts continue to come in to police but none appear to be credible. For Angel's mother, hearing the gruesome scenarios of what might have happened to her son becomes almost impossible to endure. My son was shot in the head and thrown in the Connecticut River. My son was burned 
in some type of dumpster. Uh, my son got kidnapped. I had to train myself to not listen to no one else but the detectives. Because if I would have kept listening to people, I think I would have lost it. As the Christmas holidays approach, with Angel still missing, his family is consumed by the enormity of their loss. It's hard to not know where your loved one is. To wake up and go to sleep asking yourself the same question over and over is just something no one deserves to go through. I used to always have Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner, New Year's Day dinner in my house. Not anymore. Finally, in mid-December, almost two months after Angel disappeared, the results on the fingerprints from the stolen SUV come in. It's not what investigators were hoping for. The print belongs to a Hispanic man with a criminal record, but no apparent connection to the SUV that allegedly followed Angel. Right off the bat, I see that he does not match the description that Josh had given us uh, of the person that was driving the Jeep that had chased Angel. Uh, not even close. As far as detectives can tell, the man and the SUV his print was found in have nothing to do with Angel's disappearance. The investigation is once more at a standstill. Until January 9th, 2012, when everything suddenly changes again. A convenience store clerk calls police with a remarkable story. Angel Garcia, the missing Hartford teen, was just in her store in New Britain, 15 miles from Hartford. She said he came in and I recognized him because I've seen the flyer. It looked just like him, there's no doubt about it. She explained to me that this person she saw had a tattoo on his neck uh, of Angel, of the name Angel, and she said it was a fresh tattoo. Not only that, but she says his visit was captured on security camera video. Three months after he vanished without a trace, could Angel really be alive and okay? When I took a very closer look at the picture, I was like, oh my God, this kid looks like my son. Three months after he vanished, Angel Garcia may have been sighted at a convenience store in New Britain, Connecticut, 15 miles from his home, leaving investigators mystified. Could Angel have been in the Hartford area the entire time? He's not really that far away. He's not really hiding the fact that he's that far away if he's just walking into a convenience store. Why? According to the store clerk who spotted him, Angel has a fresh tattoo on his neck. We knew from interviewing Angel's mom that he didn't have a tattoo on his neck. But at this time, there several months had gone by, and could he have gotten a tattoo? Absolutely. The circumstances don't make sense to investigators. According to his family, Angel would never run away. But photographs don't lie. I couldn't explain it. But I'm looking at a picture of somebody that I believe is him, regardless of the fact that I can't explain why. So. My initial goal is let's find this person. We'll answer the why later. Let's find him. Within a week, investigators get the break they've been waiting for. I did get a call a few days later, and the clerk told me, hey, I saw him again. He got into a car. This time, the clerk was able to jot down part of a license plate number. 
Investigators can't trace the partial plate, but they set up surveillance on the convenience store. And a few days later, they happened to be in the right place at the right time. We drove maybe a quarter mile from the store. And I said, there, there he is, there's the guy. He was walking on the sidewalk and I drove by him and I said to my partner, that's him. I'm like, where? That's him. We turned around and it was him. Detectives can't believe their eyes. The man on the street is the spitting image of Angel. But police confirm that his name is Nelson and he's never heard of Angel Garcia. It was not Angel. There's no doubt about it, it was not Angel, but it looked like him. It turns out the tattoo on Nelson's neck actually reads Ashley, not Angel. It was incredibly disappointing, but it was also satisfying in that we ran it out definitively. We know that wasn't him. Five long years pass, and tips continue to come in but none lead investigators any closer to Angel. You always want to solve these cases. You want to have the answer. You want to give closure to the family. I can't do that. I was never able to do that. When I drive by areas that we searched, I can't help but question, you know, did we search them good enough? Or did, was there somewhere here that we missed? Because let's face it, you know, these, these are big areas to search and you don't need to miss very much of it to miss what we're looking for. Years of false leads and dead ends make investigators wonder, was their first theory about what happened to Angel right all along? If he did tragically fall from the railroad bridge into the Connecticut River, the sheer lack of evidence would make sense. It explains everything. It explains why we don't have a bike, why we don't have him. Detective Tony Rykowski has always been frustrated by the fact that a proper search of the powerful river was never possible. It's too deep and too dark to effectively search with either divers or sonar. Water's incredibly murky, it's a fast current. It's not something that a diver can go down there and see. And you really, you'd be hard pressed to see your hand in front of your face. You'd have to literally dive right onto this bike to find it if it's there. We don't have the technology to search that part of the river to the degree where I'd be comfortable saying he's not there or wasn't there, and it just kind of remains. I know he's focused on that river. I don't. Of course you don't want to accept that, because if he's focused on that river, everybody knows what that means. I literally keep this case on my desk so every day, I, for me to come in and do anything, I have to see it. I think about this case all the time. Did I miss something? Is there something that came to me that, you know, I could have done more with? The mystery of Angel's disappearance has taken a devastating toll on his family. It destroyed my mom. She lost everything. She lost her job. She lost her home. She couldn't sleep, she was losing weight, she couldn't eat. Physically, she just looked destroyed. And it's getting better now, but I can still see the pain in her. The last time Angel saw his niece, Amani, she was just a baby. But his mother and sister keep her uncle's memory alive in her heart. 
What do we do with all those flyers? Put them on trees. Put them on trees, right? Why do we do that? So then people might find them. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. He loves you very much, you know that, right? It's been a long time since Angel offered his mom a home-cooked meal. Every year on his birthday, all she can do is shut herself in her bedroom. I spend a lot of time by myself now. My family dinners are mostly by myself. Unfortunately. They say time heals. That's, that's not right. You just learn how to deal with it and cope with it as the time goes on. I kind of live like a fantasy life. One that no one is allowed to enter me. I get through my days denying myself that he's missing. He's gonna walk through that door later on. Ma, what you doing? You cooked? And although I know it's not like that, it is a lie. It helps me get through my days. I've always been the rock for my family. And I know that I need to let it out, but I can't. That's my only son. Angel's loved ones are convinced someone out there knows what happened to him. All I need you to do is just make that phone call and just say where he's at. That's it. You don't have to give your name. You don't have to say who you are. Just say where he's at. But help us bring Angel home. If you have any information about Angel Garcia or his disappearance, please contact the Hartford Police Department at 860-757-4212. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Nickelodeon was kid everything. But that marked one of the darkest chapters. Three predators worked at Nickelodeon. It made me wonder who was being hurt. Quiet on set. An ID true crime event. Sunday, March 17th at 9 on ID and stream on Max.